truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Happy Friday. Thanks for joining us here today, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Aaron McIntyre is here. Todd Erzin has the day off. We have with us for our first hour, Shannon Joy, New York talk show host and our good friend here at the Blaze Radio, TV, media, uh, over all-encompassing, conquering network. Chris Pandolfo, we'll be getting to them here in just a moment. Was that a Rush shirt that he was wearing? I, I Yes, yeah. It is. Wow. I'm wearing. Well, look at, look at you. You step into the limelight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, no. Well, I mean, this no. is the third time you've had me on this week, right? Yeah. So you either must really think I'm smart and want me in the limelight, or you're just out of guests because nobody desperate. likes you. Yeah, yeah, you're about the only person left that talks to us. Yes. And <laughs> yeah, when, when everybody else says no, I just look at Todd and say, call Chris. And Aaron didn't even have to ask me last night. He just did it on his own automatically. In fact, the text you sent me last night, Aaron, yeah. was not. Was it not? Everybody else said no. I, I just got a hold of Chris. Was that not exactly the text you sent me last night? Chris is my friend. I don't want to say that to his face. It is the text that he sent me last right. night. Cool there shirt, though. Go. Cool shirt. All right, 888-900-3393. That's the number here to the blaze, 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Try liking us, and we mean try. Liking us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, and you can find samples of this program to share at youtube.com slash stevedace. Feedback Friday is pretty lit coming up next hour. Some of y'all brought it. I mean, it's done been brought in. Some of the the questions that we are going to tackle next hour, we are looking forward to that. But before we get to all of that, it is time for the Dace Group. Your weekly look at the week that was... Emulated, inspired by the late John McLaughlin's McLaughlin Group. We have stolen virtually everything, but John has passed away now, so he won't mind. Let's get to issue one. Bleep, Democrats say. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a Democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Sometimes I wake up and I think it's 1920 and not 2020. I'm going to be introducing a plan tomorrow to take every dime that the president is now spending on his racist wall at our southern border and divert it to work on the coronavirus. I have worked um, in some of the toughest communities. I've worked with gangs. I've worked with Crips. I've worked with Bloods. And there's more integrity in many of these young people in the hood than this man has. The president is a Russian operative. Donald Trump was the oldest. Uh, president ever, one of the fattest presidents ever, the least physically capable president since uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was in a wheelchair. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. And I'll tell you what else we're going to do. We're going to provide help to the African-American, Latino, Native American community to start businesses to sell legal marijuana. 150 million people have been killed since 2007 when Bernie voted to exempt the gun manufacturers from liability. All right, Myrtle Beach. All right. 
How does it feel to be a bunch of radicals? Huh? A bunch of, a bunch of revolutionaries. A bunch of socialists here in Myrtle Beach. Another issue that he did not address clearly in an interview with our colleague earlier this week, Anderson Cooper, was the exact cost yeah. of his Medicare for All plan. There's, there's money for whatever people want to spend money on. Zachary, age nine. And this is a really touching question. He says, thank you for being so brave. Would you help me tell the world I'm gay too? I want to be brave like you. Well, I don't think you need a lot of advice from me on bravery. You seem pretty strong. To see you, I, it took me a long time to figure out how to tell even my best friend that I was gay, let alone to go out there and tell the world. And to see you willing to come to terms with who you are in a room full of a thousand people, thousands of people you've never met, that's, that's really something. Make it clear to China, we are going to continue to move closer to make sure that we can, in fact, prevent China, prevent North Korea from launching missiles to take them down. And if we don't, why am I stopping? No one else stops. Let us begin. First question, what was your favorite flavor of the big gay ice cream this week? And since that is uh, an ice cream store closer to your neck of the woods over there in New York, Shannon Joy, we will begin with you. It is cold here. I'm going to tell you right now. It is cold. It is windy. It is gross. And I'm in, I'm in a bad mood because of it. So let's start with that. I'm just joking. Um, th- that whole montage, the thing that strikes me the most about that, I don't know if you're familiar with Newton's third law. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, right? Mm-hmm. And I can't help but tell you that for every policy prescription offered up by a psychotic Democrat, there is an equal policy prescription offered up by a Republican. And so when, you know, what did we have here? Elizabeth Warren talking about Donald Trump's racist wall. Well, apparently, you know, if, if you're looking at facts, there's no wall. If anything, the influx of illegal immigrants into our country is worse than it was under President Obama. Joe Biden was talking about gun control. Uh, the the Trump administration and the Republican Party, with trifecta power, passed more gun control legislation in three years than President Obama did in his his entire eight years in office. You have Bernie Sanders talking about Fidel Castro. Well, Trump has his favorite dictator. I mean, just look at the history of the statements that he's made about Kim Jong-un, who is actually alive and actually has missiles pointed at our country. So, I mean, I can't help but watch that montage and think about how uh, there really is no discernible difference between these two political parties and how dumb it all is. Since I'm going to get these emails, I'm going to ask you now, because you're the one that said it. I don't want to have to answer for you later. Other right. than the bump stock ban, what, what other gun control are you talking about in this administration? So in the latest budget, and this is just one, in the latest budget, President Trump authorized and the Republicans authorized for the first time in 30 years, I believe 25 million dollars to study gun violence in the United States of America. That was a huge loss. It's something the NRA, Gun Owners of America, uh, have been fighting for years and years because uh, you know that once the federal government starts studying something, they will create whatever outcome they want and use it to pass more gun control. So that was recent. Uh, In addition, you have the president um, of the United States authorizing funding to explore 
red flag laws. This is something that the president supports. This is an absolute bastardization of the Second Amendment. It's, uh, it is, goes to the heart of due process, but it, it empowers uh, local officials to seize guns without due process, without a court order, and without a hearing or, or any type. So, it, I mean, it attacks Fourth Amendment, First Amendment, Second Amendment. And this president was the one that said that he supported that and endorsed that. And it, he made the statement, uh, take the guns first, due process second. We'll worry about due process after. So those are just a few. Um, Gun Owners of America is a really great resource if you want to look to the type of legislation that they've either passed or issued by executive order or the funding to create new legislation. But I, I assure you, if, if he gets in a second term, we'll have more gun control. Okay. Chris, your thoughts? Thank you, uh, Shannon, for the itemization. Go ahead, Chris. Was, uh, Bernie Sanders, definitely. Because it's like everybody's pretending like he hasn't been saying this stuff for 30 years. Right. right? You have the, right. the Castro stuff that came out this week. And he's like, oh, he's apologizing for dictators. And he's not the no, only no. Democrat. Democrats have been saying, drawing this line in distinction with Castro my whole life. I'm 47. I've heard this my, or I will be. I've heard this stuff my entire life before I knew what a Bernie Sanders was. Exactly. And it's like all the oppo research is being dumped this week because they realize, oh, crap, we got to stop this guy before Super Tuesday. So you're getting like the, the rehashing of his rape fantasy essays. And oh, it's all the stuff we all talked about in 2015 uh, when he was or uh, 2016, when he was trying to primary Hillary Clinton. And it's like everybody just forgot that we've already had these discussions or forgot that, like, we've been talking about Bernie Sanders being a radical socialist for the last 30 years of Bernie Sanders being a radical socialist. So it's all fake and it's all fun to watch. And uh, my most favorite part of it all is the Democrats and the never Trumpers who are like just appalled that President Trump apologizes for authoritarians all over the world now having to deal with the likely Democratic nominee doing the exact same thing. So uh, when, when you talk about a unibrow party, it's everything is the same on all sides. Everybody's a hypocrite and it's just fun to watch. Aaron, get high on your own supply. Yeah, so... Um no, I, I think lending more, even more credence to what uh, Chris and, and Shannon were saying is, yeah, there's equal and opposite reaction. I mean, the only difference a lot of times, I mean, so, um, you know, we want paid family leave. Okay, well, uh, Mike Lee's got a conservative alternative to that. Um, we've got a Swedish the, the Matt Gates Green New Deal? Yeah. The conservative uh, Green New Deal? Yeah, yeah. so the, the leftists want to impose a, a Green uh, New Deal. Matt Gates comes out with a Green Redeal, uh, Green Real Deal. We've got a Swedish teenager traveling yes. traveling all over, over the world, yeah. uh, preaching uh, a message of doom and desolation due to global warming. And so now we're going to get a German teenager to come speak at CPAC and rebut her. Because uh, Germans it's, have been known to soothe and calm fears. <laughs> that's really that's inherent yeah. to their civilization for centuries now. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's because of of this thing that we keep we keep talking about, and we'll talk about it later. I, I, I won't step on it right now, but the premise that we react to all of these leftists with is by and large the same premise that they're working from. The only difference is that the people making the argument on our side uh, don't act actively, viscerally hate us because they need our votes. Anyway, my actual favorite ride on the uh, Democrat crazy train this week, Pete Buttigieg and the uh, nine-year-old boy. The Did you know who you we were when you were gotten, nine years old? I, I can't even remember much of nine years old. Yeah. I can't really remember much of, of nine years old at all. The level of numb, though, here's the disturbing part. The level of numb, maybe, I'll just speak for myself, that I've, I've maybe gotten to where it was like, 
I should be incensed and shocked and outraged, woe and lamentation, tearing my garments, taking a bath in, in ash out of that type of stuff. It's just another day that ends in Y. Throw another shrimp on the bobby. It's eh? just another day that ends in Y. <laughs> yes. And so that's, that's probably the, the, not necessarily the clip itself, but the reaction that I think a lot of people have where it's like, well, this is kind of expected now. That should not be the case in a healthy society. Just to tell you just how terrible we were at nine. At nine years old, I thought Duran Duran was the best pop music <laughs> act oh in the world. But then again, Dude. on the way in here this morning, I heard, is there something I should know on the 80s channel? And I got to thinking again, you know what? I forgot how good these guys were. Shannon, represent. Did I get, did I get a testify from you on that? I have you beat. When I was nine, I had a rat tail. Oh, yes, wow. I, wow. Yeah. Yes, I short hair and a rat tail. Yeah, maybe maybe keep your that uh, legend of Billie Jean, Helen Slater phase to your face or to your to yourself, I, maybe. A little TMI. I, think I have a picture. I have a picture. Yeah. I swear, I swear I'll post it on Twitter if I can find it. It's hilarious. On a scale of one to ten, here's our exit question, with one being as pathetic as Mitt Romney's claim to be profoundly religious and 10 being as vigorous as Lindsey Graham's Eros love for amnesty and any war whatsoever in a Muslim land. Rate this week's level of total depravity, Shannon. Uh, I'm going to give it a five. I think that's my go-to answer. I just, same with, with Aaron. It's really hard to shock me anymore. Chris. Yeah, I'm not shocked anymore, but it's a 10 because definitionally, if you're talking about total depravity, it's total, right? And that's just where we are. We might be approaching utter, actually. (laughs) We might be approaching utter depravity. All right, Aaron, what do you think? 7.5. Let's get to issue two, Nevada, South Carolina, and Super Tuesday. Oh, my. Bernie Sanders won last Saturday's Nevada caucuses quite handily. He more than doubled up Joe Biden, 46.8% to 20.2%. Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren trailed in third and fourth place with 143 and 9.7% respectively. Through three contests, and according to the Associated Press, Bernie Sanders now has a commanding lead in the delegate count with his 45 to Buttigieg's 25. Joe Biden is in third at 15, and no other candidate is in the double digits in delegates. Now the country turns its eyes to the Palmetto States, where on Saturday the final primary before Super Tuesday takes place. Joe Biden has a commanding lead in the state over Bernie Sanders, according to the Real Clear Politics polling average of the state, 34.3% to 22.3%. Tom Steyer is in third at 13.7%, and no other candidate is cracking double digits. Next week, things get really serious as Super Tuesday gets set to go down. According to the Real Clear Politics average, Bernie Sanders leads in California, Texas, North Carolina, Virginia, Massachusetts, Colorado, and Utah, while Amy Klobuchar leads in Minnesota, and Mike Bloomberg is leading in Oklahoma. Recent polls out of Maine and Vermont show Sanders leading those states, while Bloomberg leads in Arkansas. Buckle up. So let's analyze this race. Chris, I'll start with you this time. Where do you think the race for the Democrat nomination will be when we wake up Wednesday morning after Super Tuesday? All right. So I think a couple candidates are going to drop out. Right. Uh, I would imagine Elizabeth Warren, despite a news article saying that she's going to be in it until the convention, like she's just saying that in the lead up to the vote. Right. And when reality hits and she loses her home state to Bernie Sanders, she's probably going to drop out either Tuesday night or Wednesday morning or Wednesday. Uh, same thing might happen to Amy Klobuchar. 
she could try to pull a John Kasich where she just wins her home state and then just sticks it out to see what happens and hoping for a brokered convention, making the argument that, no, actually, she's the moderate candidate and a woman who can beat Trump or Bernie Sanders as this radical. Or that would be a Bernie- Dick Deerstand move. Chris, what do you <laughs> yeah. think? Exactly. Huh? 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 No, I'm over cool. two. Am I over two? I, I, I'm, I'm I sorry. Like I'm sorry, Chris. Like go it. ahead. I'm over two. Okay, okay. Go ahead, Chris. Right. So uh, either she sticks it in, or Bernie Sanders humiliates her as well as Elizabeth Warren in their home states and beats her in Minnesota, and she drops out. Right. So the overarching thing is Bernie Sanders is going to be in the lead in terms of delegates. He's going to win the most delegates on Super Tuesday. Uh, Tom Steyer is probably going to be gone after South Carolina. Um, and then you're just, it's whether or not Biden wins second place to have enough delegates to make an argument that he can continue going on. Or if he gets totally humiliated in all these states, maybe he just decides one of the other candidates is a better shot of going one-on-one on Bernie Sanders and he drops out too. I don't think he's going to drop out. I think at least three candidates are going to make it all the way to the convention. Uh, I don't think Bernie Sanders will have a majority of delegates. I think he'll have to win on the second or third ballot. And I don't think they'll try to steal it from him at convention because his supporters will be there and they will riot. What do you think about Mayor Pete? There's some reports out today that he is canceling some events post uh, did you post Super Tuesday. Your thoughts on on whether he uh, senses uh, that uh, the uh, the plump lady is singing or he's just enjoying the limelight and more chances to help nine year olds figure out exactly who they are at this critical juncture in their lives. Honestly, he's going to be such a non-factor on Super Tuesday that I forgot him. I literally forgot him while we were having this discussion in my analysis. So, you know, I, I, he's not going to win South Carolina or come close to it. I don't think he's going to win a single Super Tuesday state. And I think when he's confronted with that reality, he's probably going to drop out after Super Tuesday and uh, maybe endorse another candidate. Or, I don't know, maybe he's the third guy who tries to stick it all the way to the convention because he's the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, and he has, literally has nothing else to do. All right, Aaron, what say you? What do you think we're at on Wednesday? So I, I agree um, with Sanders being on top, obviously, of the delegate count. And, and here's, the, here's the deal that I want to— you think Sanders re- will be on top of Buttigieg? I, I do believe so, yeah. Now, that one was good. All right, yeah. good? One for three. All right, one hey, man, three. they put guys in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. There's guys in Cooperstown for only going one for three every yeah. day. I'll take it. He will be, I'll take that. Thank he, you. He will be on— I about said something else on purpose, and I self-edited. You know, I'm growing up. I am growing up a little bit. Stop that! <laughs> so I, I believe that, that Sanders will be on top. And, and something that I think we need to uh, rehash and re, uh, re, you know, just kind of remind ourselves about. Uh, and I think a good place to do that is in a place like Minnesota, where Amy Klobuchar is leading the polling there, but she's followed closely by Bernie Sanders. Now, regardless of who wins some of those states like Oklahoma or um, or I believe the other one was Arkansas. Arkansas was the head of poll yesterday. Bernie was tied, basically. Tied. Yeah. So if if there are some um, states where Bernie does not win, he's still going to be close behind and he's going to be racking up almost as many delegates as the person who won that state because they award them proportionally. And so even if he, even if you see some people like Mike Bloomberg win a couple states, pick off a couple states, it doesn't really make a huge difference uh, when, when Bernie Sanders is as strong as he is. So I think he's going to be 
the prohibitive, the prohibitive, well, he already is the prohibitive favorite for, for winning the nomination, but that's going to be um, underscored immensely when we wake up on, on Wednesday morning, almost to the point where I would kind of maybe disagree with Chris. I think he could get to the 19, 1,991 delegates needed before, before, the, uh, before the convention. But as Chris also said, it doesn't really matter if he doesn't because of his supporters and Milwaukee will burn if they try to steal it. Shannon, your thoughts. What do you think this race is going to be when we wake up on Wednesday morning? Well, you all know my perspective and the paradigm that I see these national contests through. So from my perspective, we will be exactly where the script writers want us to be after Wednesday. And so my question has always been, who is it going to be? I think I tend to work backwards, right? So I think that the play for 2020 is for President Trump to win re-election. I think, I think that's kind of baked in the cake. So the question is, who do they want to put up against him that is going to give us a good show, but it's, is not necessarily going to take him out, right? And so that's why I've kind of always leaned towards Biden as the, the natural winner of the contest, because I think he's the, the one that will be more easily defeated by President Trump. I think Bernie Sanders is very similar to Trump in a lot of ways. He's a populist. He's appealing to a populist sentimentality or sentiment. Um, and so he will offer up some of those, those big government programs similar to the ones that Trump has. And he's also an outsider. He, you know, he has a very, um, a very committed base. So I think that would be a more difficult contest. So I'm not really sure. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and and quite frankly, even if Bernie Sanders wins or Biden wins, you know, at in 2020, we're still going to get if you look at George W. Bush legislation versus Barack Obama legislation versus Trump legislation versus whoever's going to come after him. It all pretty much looks the same. It's all a massive growth in government and size and the scope. And so um, for me. It really is just a matter. What I'm most interested in is really how many Democrats will wake up throughout this process, realizing that the Democratic primary is largely largely rigged. So now that everybody has given their big picture view, I'm now going to open the floor up for you guys to disagree with one another, or you can choose to helmet sticker one another if you choose. Chris, anybody said anything so far you either uh, want to stress or disagree with? Uh, I think I'll disagree slightly with Shannon in terms of the idea of being some overall arching script that's happening, right? Because if if that were true, true, you know, if that was if you were able to script something like an election, then government programs would work, right? Because you can orchestrate things from top down. I just don't think that's how human nature works. I think human beings are too individualistic. We all act. Uh, it, it's sort of a chaotic, chaotic kind of. Uh, organized disorganization, right? That makes society work. You know, so I, I don't think there's ever some overarching plan, or at least not one that's feasible and can work because something always goes wrong, right? right. Um, so if it could be, and the evidence for that is we have all these big conspiracy theories. Like the one time I think they actually tried to pull off a conspiracy theory was with Epstein not killing himself. And look how that turned out. They're just the evidence is overwhelming that they, they botched covering that up. Right, even though they are getting away with it, so it's really, really, really hard to kind of orchestrate any sort of thing. I think this is just people voting naturally. Uh, we're moving in a populist direction in both parties, with Bernie Sanders and with Donald Trump, because the ruling class establishment has failed so many people, and uh, you know things are slow to change. Really, what all that's changed so far is the personalities. We haven't actually really seen major differences in policy yet 
but this kind of these kind of populist movements take decades to really see their full effects. So we're just at the beginning of a major shift in our political organization in America, I think. And uh, it's an exciting time to be alive because you're going to get to see where that goes. Shannon, I'll give you a chance to redirect before I bring Aaron into the conversation. But uh, try to make it quick if you could. Go ahead. Yeah. When I use the word script, I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes exaggerating to make a point. Um, I'm talking more about loose scripting and this idea. If you look at, um, you know, there, there is, I think, an agenda. And I think that the larger agenda is to make sure that both political parties, the Republican and the Democrats, put up candidates who will maintain status quo. And I think that there is just kind of a natural affinity for status quo in Washington, D.C. Everyone within that uh, ecosystem wants it to persist and wants it to survive. And so I think that, you know, when you talk about scripting, a lot of times it's just people setting up a scenario that's going to lead people in, in a natural direction. I don't think that every Republican in Washington, D.C. sits around with a script and reads it and understands that larger that larger mechanism. I'm saying that there are people in positions of power within the federal government, within both parties, within most of our major institutions that have access to a lot of, of um, power. And they're able to set up a scenario so that we will naturally walk through it. I do agree with Chris, though. They don't control everything. I mean, that's the exciting part about the United States of America right now. Um, what they want for us is to choose between two socialist candidates. That's the goal, is to put up two people who will, will maintain that status quo and continue the march to progressivism. And that's kind of easy to do when you control most institutions. But it is true that if people wake up and realize that scripted nature of politics today, and that it really is kind of WWE, if they begin to activate, not based on, on what we see happening nationally, but from a local level, from a local perspective, if we figure that out, then we can actually, I think, combat socialism and combat, you know, this type of rigged politics. Aaron? Yeah, as far as, um, as far as, as uh, scripting or the, or the show goes, I mean, a healthy, healthy cynicism or unhealthy, which I kind of veer into sometimes, that's, that's always good. But that's the crazy voices. That's the crazy voices in the head. And the, and the crazy voices in the head are not, are not about necessarily, and when, when I talk about crazy voices, Anything could happen because we are dealing with human nature and id and a worldview here on a level that makes some of these insane, um, what would be typically insane, at least in the recent history of American elections, some of those insane theories uh, more plausible. Because what we're recognizing here, I think at the end of the day, is is not necessarily powers that be, the puppeteer controlling the strings. This is a worldview battle. Right. And progressivism, progressivism is what's really pulling the strings here, because that is the rival religion yeah, of, they our, control the Overton of, window. Of, of our age, uh, yeah. and it controls the Overton window, as you say. And so we, when we're when we're talking about this, I don't think, I don't think we're not necessarily. Ta- at least I'm not talking about conspiracy theories, you know, rigging right. the election yeah. for Bernie Sanders or anything like that. I'm talking about we are recognizing what we're up against. The same people, as Kristen mentioned, the same people who want you to believe that Jeffrey Epstein actually killed himself. I absolutely believe they would be willing. They would be willing to try to stop Sanders if it if it helped them in the long run acquire more power because that's the end game of of progressivism. Right. But whatever is going on right now is is to acquire power. Now, it might fail badly this election, but they don't play for election after election. 
We keep we keep throwing out that stat over and over again about uh, how, n- how over 900 Democrats lost elections post Obamacare. Mm-hmm. They don't care about that. We still have Obamacare, guys. They won. I think we got something worse than Obamacare. Oh, that's that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. We, we we got but, rid of all the mandates, but uh, um, or all the all the subsidies, but kept or all the mandates, but kept the yeah. subsidies. So, so costs are still going up all so, over the place. So the yeah. script, the crazy voices in the head, all that is an attempt to deduce what is going on through the lens of the rival religion of our day, which is progressivism. That's at least that's my perspective, anyway. And just think about the person. You got thirty who, seconds. I've got to before I have to get out. Go ahead. Think about the entity that is trying to convince everyone that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. It's Bill Barr. It's I mean, it's the eternal attorney general for Donald Donald Trump. It is that you know federal agency that is trying to push that through. I mean, that's that's where I get my unibrow ideas from. When you see two political parties that act exactly the same, and when it comes to discern, discernible policy outcome and legislation, then you have to look at it in a different way. And so, you know, it's not conspiracy. To me, it's just right in front of my face. Exit question, true or false? At least three Democratic candidates will drop out after Super Tuesday. Aaron? False. You think it's less than three or more? Less. Okay. Chris? True. True? Shannon? True. True. You guys want to name the three? Chris? Uh, Steyer, Warren, and probably, has Tulsi Gabbard dropped out yet? I think she's technically she's still, still in the race. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we need to book drop. people on conservative media, so that, that's why she's running. So There you go. She'll drop out, too. Is she, is she, is she at CPAC speaking this weekend? or um, Headliner? She, all I know is that no? she's probably going to okay. speak there before you do. I, you can count on that. You can count on that. All right, got to get out. We'll come back. We're going to have a serious conversation over what is the ideological battle of the era. All right? and whether we're ready, willing, and able to fight it. We'll come back, discuss that, and more with part two of today's group next on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Your weekly look at the week that was the day group. You're on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Chris Pandolfo, Shannon Joy are here alongside Aaron McIntyre. Todd Erzin has the day off. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get to issue three, the battle over socialism. Socialism has been a key buzzword over the last couple of weeks in the Democratic primary. Bunch of socialists here in Myrtle Beach. This is ridiculous. We're not going to throw out capitalism. We tried that. Other countries tried that. It was called communism, and it just didn't work. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But, you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? So this is part of what I'm getting at when I say that in our one shot to defeat Donald Trump, We should think carefully about the consequences of nominating Senator Sanders. I don't want, as a Democrat, I don't want to be explaining why our nominee is encouraging people to look on the bright side of the Castro regime when we're going into the election of our lives. What a wonderful country we have. The best-known socialist in the country happens to be a millionaire with three houses. What I miss here? However, a recent Gallup poll showed three in four Democrat voters would be willing to support a socialist on their party's ticket. And with that number skewing even more heavily with younger voters, it looks like America has its hands full. So for the purposes of this conversation, I want us to begin it from the premise that I articulate to this audience. 
that I don't believe Bernie Sanders is an outlier. I, I believe he is a herald. I believe he is for the for the the progressive religion of state. He is their John the Baptist. He is a he's the he's the odd odd duck sentinel, the lone voice crying out from his lake house, make a crooked path for the coming religion of state. And that the arguments that are going to be held in this election cycle, if he's the nominee, we're going to be just having for the foreseeable future, because in the future, we won't get people in a bad Nikita Khrushchev packaging uh, like Bernie Sanders represents. And they'll be smart enough not to say things like, I feel like I still need to defend the position I had on Fidel Castro in 1968. All right, you'll get a new generation, won't even know what a, what a Fidel Castro was. Okay. So with that as the premise, how ready willing and able do you think conservatism is to truly take on socialism in this generation the way previous generations of conservatives took on communism chris i'll start with you i think that this generation is the one of the weakest in terms of comparatively to other generations it's the weakest argument we've ever had against socialism and the, the evidence for that is socialism's success in our politics today uh, I don't think things are going to get better in the short term because I think we're making the wrong arguments. We're trying to make the, uh, we can't afford it, the economics of it are bad, you're going to kill all these jobs argument against a group of people who believe they have a moral imperative to fix injustices in society. You're not going to convince somebody who believes they're doing something for justice that their program is bad because it might kill a few jobs. You're just not. That is, you're operating from totally different planes of existence. If you want to beat a moral argument, you need to use a moral argument. And our generation is not equipped to doing that. For the past 30 years in, in conservative politics, we've stopped using those moral arguments about justice, about what the common good is, about what the end of human beings are. And the reason for that is you can't separate that argument from a theological argument which is you have to make the argument for a God who has a moral law, that these moral laws are good for human beings and that they ought to be followed if we want to succeed. The, the left... And, like and the there will be consequences left, if you do not. And there are consequences yes. if you do not. And yep. the left has rejected that argument. A lot of people on the right have rejected that argument. Yes, they have. And we are in, and we are in this the binary choice between my mob versus yours yeah. between amoral corporatism and socialism because we've rejected that argument and so until we start making that argument again which requires revival which is a theme that this show talks about all the time until we start having that argument again we're not going to be able to defeat socialism and it's only a matter of time before they get in power they implement all these programs and they fail miserably aaron yeah, so my, what I was going to say is, is, is identical to, to what Chris says, because our answer to the, in, you know, the, 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 the continued lurch towards the left, lurch towards statism, lurch of progressivism in this country is we can't afford it. Now, let me, let me uh, contrast that with one issue where it's impossible not to make a moral theological argument, and that's the life issue. You cannot make a pro-life argument that is not rooted in that moral, uh, that, that moral uh, fabric. And where do morals come from? Uh, it, it, transcendent morality that comes from 
that comes from theology. And so that's why you see of all of the issues, and it's still not where it needs to be, and and Lord knows it should be a lot further along than it has been because of numerous issues, but that's why you see actually some progress in the life issue in the United States is because you cannot make an argument that does not include a moral framework for that. Everything else, though, everything else, well, we can't afford this. We can't afford, uh, we can't afford socialism. We can't afford Medicare for all. We can't afford this. And there's a clip in the montage of, of bleep Democrats, say, this week, uh, and I can't remember her name, but she was being inter- interviewed on CNN. She was a Sanders uh, spokesperson, and um, she was asked about uh, why Bernie Sanders had not released the price tag for Medicare for all. And she essentially said, you know, it's funny when we start talking about things for disenfranchised or, or down-and-out people in this country, we start getting concerned about how much it costs. Well, why, how are we able to pay for uh, trillions of dollars uh, of a war cost over halfway across the, the planet? How are we able to afford trillions of dollars for that, but we can't figure out how to help people who can't afford health insurance here? And that's the argument, as you've said I've been multiple warning, times, that's, yep. that's where they're going to go. Yep. That's where, where they are going to go because they are making – where is the justice in that? Where, where am I in this? Where is the justice – where is that justice that we talked about? Mm-hmm. And our response is always a technocratic, well, it costs too much. Nobody, no, we're at a point in time where most of the people in left America just don't care. And it's going to be increasingly that way in the future. And so there are very few people in positions of authority and power on what's left of America who actually understand this. Now, the um, Bill Bars of the world, they actually articulate this type of, of theme. They don't do anything about it. Josh Hawley of Missouri, I've heard him articulate some things about this. We'll see. I mean, he's just one senator. But the times are coming. Times are coming where those arguments aren't going to sway anyone whatsoever. And I think people I think people have to understand that this argument, as Chris so well articulated, these these moral arguments, these arguments about justice, those are the things that the right America have avoided. And they've gotten along and they've gotten by by just saying, we're not those guys, vote for us. Yep. A time's coming where that's not going to be the case. Yep. The whole model of, of conservative political activism has been based off the notion of a silent majority and that we really don't have to win new people over um, other than fake Republican consultant talking points that are pandering and don't work. But we don't have to really vie for hearts and minds. We just rattle the cages of the silent majority and beat back the, the leftist horde. Well, just as in the Christian faith, you know, if, 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 if we homeschool our kids and take them to church every or most Sundays, but um, our kids see me be just consistently terrible to their mom, can almost no amount of church attendance or homeschool curriculum is going to be able to counteract the terrible testimony that I have modeled to them, right? That's yeah, going to be the most right. influential thing, right? This also, this works in any belief system. On top of the indoctrination that you and Aaron, that you and Chris's generation has holistically received, systemically received, we have provided a testimony that reinforces your indoctrination. You're being asked to go and die in the same country that your dad served in. We're going on 20 years in Afghanistan. Yeah. For what point? For what point? Every day there's a new war. We've got now. It's we've got to go to Syria. 
We couldn't we couldn't back up the the, the Kurds, Kurdish soldiers who actually fought and died with us. We couldn't do that. But now we can go back to Syria to die for the Ottomans, or is it the Russians I, I, who are fighting each other? Yeah. As opposed to, uh, you know, we should be doing the Homer Simpson gift, just backing away into the bushes and waiting for both of y'all to lose. Yeah. Okay? And meanwhile, back home, uh, you know, jobs are being uh, shipped. Who knows where? Right. Um, we're letting in e- e- t- hordes of illegal uh, illegal aliens that drive wages down. Where's Where's the justice in that? And Bernie Sanders speaks to that. Uh, ham-fistedly, but he speaks to that, and so did so did Trump speak to that as well. But I don't. But I think you've got to do more than what he has either been able or willing to do. But but regardless, these problems that we set ourselves up to fail preexisted long before Trump. Shannon, we'll give you the last word on this. Go ahead. I, I think the difficulty here is that as conservatives, we have conferred the fight for liberty to uh, political parties, to politicians, to institutions, to talk radio hosts, to Fox News. And so you have this over the past 50 years, a, a, a massive consolidation of power in, in Washington, D.C., but also, you know, even in terms of broadcast power, you know, the voices, who represents conservatism? Well, Rush Limbaugh. And just this past year, it was last year, I think, I'll never forget Rush Limbaugh talking about when President Trump and the Republicans basically gave up on repealing Obamacare. And Rush came on his program and said, well, you know, don't blame it on Trump. This is what the American people want, right? The American people want socialism. And so conservatism, Inc., is now, because we want to win, we're basically saying, okay, we're going to come up with our own socialistic versions of socialism so that we can sell it to the American people. And so what we have here, the, the, the real issue, what the battle is not Republican versus Democrat. It is not conservative versus liberal. It is not Trump versus Sanders or Trump versus Biden. The battle is individualism versus collectivism. That's where the battle is. And as individuals, we have conferred our battle. We are not going to work in our own communities, our own schools, our own towns from a local level, building up a a justification for individual liberty, natural rights, our constitution, the bill of rights, small government, individual sovereignty, state sovereignty, family sovereignty. We're we're lazy on all of that. We're saying, oh, Rush Limbaugh is going to fight this battle for us. Donald Trump is going to fight this battle for us. Oh, if we just obsessively focus on a political election every four years, someone is going to ride in on a white knight and save us. As long as we have that perspective, we will lose. The way to fight this is number one within your individual heart and mind, and then going out into your community and pushing these values that are are right, by the way. I mean, if we just said what is right and true, then we could really make a difference. But we are still locked in this this hyper focus on everything national when we need to be getting down on it locally. That's the only way we're going to win. So you didn't watch Diamond and Silk on Hannity last night? I'm just kidding. In all serious, though, everything that you just said, 100 percent true. I mean, that, that is that was that's absolute gospel truth. And I, you know, I, I see this now working in, in this industry on a national level, how much of of what we discuss and don't is solely based off what will get me booked on Fox News tonight. I'm I'm just dead serious about that. That's just like the number one. That's the number one. You know, we were that's the number one driving impulse is how do I get you know, how do I get booked on Fox? How do I get access on Fox compared to 
the other driving impulse, which is how do I smash all your stained glass windows and undo your civilization? That that's what that's what the other mob is driven by. Our mob is driven by how do I get booked on Fox? Exit question. If the odds America will become a democratic socialist country like Western Europe in the next decade were the lyric to a Pink Floyd song, which Pink Floyd song lyric would it be? A, did you exchange a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage? B, hello, is there anybody in there? Just nod if you can hear me. Is there anyone home? Or C, I'm all right, Jack. Keep your hands off of my stack. Which one do you think it is, Aaron? I think it's B. Meaning you think we're just too comfortably numb to even yep. sign up for a, even sign up to be programmed. We're just gonna idiocracy this thing and I, uh I think idiocracy is where where yeah. we live and what we are. Yeah. We're just gonna ingest the porn porn hub and the Cheetos. Yep. Okay. What do you think, Chris? Aaron's right. B. Shannon. I think it's B, but I have great hope that we can still wake up. Listen, it took 500 years to take down the Romans, right? We have a couple, we could have a couple uh, hundred more years if we, you know, like we could do it. Come on, guys. All right, Don't let's give up. Let's get to issue four Lent. The annual liturgical event known as Lent started this week with Christians all over the world attempting to sacrifice something or some things over the course of the six week period leading up to Easter. This week, the Pope asked Catholics to give up trolling people online for Lent. So there's something. Well, that's a, that might be a bridge too far for me. But here's the question for you guys with our kicker topic, the kicker topic this week. What would you be willing to give up politically for Lent and why? And it cannot be easy, all right? Like something you've already given up, okay? What would you be willing to give up politically for Lent and why? Aaron, you go first. So I, I think... For me, I, I like, so we just got done talking about, basically the choice we have is is uh, making arguments about justice or owning, owning the libs. Dude, I love tweeting owning the libs. I, I, I do have to admit that. I, I, I love, I love own, poning people on Twitter, poning, uh, poning AOC. It's just a bad habit. I, I, but it's, it's enjoyable and entertaining, but it, it accomplishes nothing other than getting my, my own jollies off. So the Pope is, Pope is talking to you, in other words. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So you're going to give that up. Okay. Yeah. All right. Chris, what are you willing to give up? Well, uh, I was thinking about this and I had to think about all the things that I do politically. And one of the biggest things probably is coming on the show and talking and pretending like I know things. So you know, one of the hardest things for me to give up that I feel like I probably ought is I have to be willing to say when I don't know something, hey, I don't know what's going to happen in the election. You know, I, to give up trying to be right, I guess, is what I'm trying to articulate here. You know, trying to say, like, yeah, I know what's going to happen. Like all these confident pundits you see on TV. And then, you know, when it doesn't happen, they pretend like nothing ever happened. I, I don't want to be that guy. So you want to give up a lack of self-awareness for Lent? You you do understand the industry that, that you work in, correct? Have you considered a career a, a career change if, if you want to practice that level of self-awareness? Yeah, we'll see. We'll talk about it after uh, my paycheck rolls in. <laughs> Shannon? I never thought I would say this, but I do tend to criticize President Trump a lot. I mean, that's something I, I like to point out every time he acts like a liberal progressive Democrat, 
because it makes me feel better about myself because then I'm like, oh, I was right about that. But I don't think that's best for society. And I don't think that's the best thing for our movement. So I think I could. And quite frankly, this isn't all President Trump's fault either. I mean, these, you know, what we're dealing with today is, you know, 50 years of progressivism creeping into all of our institutions. So I think I could probably take a break from criticizing President Trump, both on my radio show and on my social media. I think I could do it. Okay. Let's get to predictions. Aaron, I'll let you go first. Tom Brady ends up in the AFC West. I really think he's going to go to the Raiders. The Raiders? John Gruden. He's got some weapons there. They're in Vegas now? They're in Vegas now. Gruden and Brady. What a pairing that would be. I mean, wow. I don't even know how those two personalities would mesh, but it would be a fascinating watch. See, if it's not going to be New England, I think it's going to be the Tennessee Titans with another former Patriot, Mike Rabel there. Oh, yeah. Okay, but uh, what do you think, Chris? What's your prediction this week? Well, I don't know about you guys, but I've been watching the XFL every weekend, and I'm really enjoying it. I think because it's a little bit sloppier than like NFL professional football, right? Because the guys are just not quite as good enough to get in the NFL. But I think that makes for sometimes more exciting games because you have screw-ups and like they fumble the ball and there's a turnover. So I and the attendance levels have been pretty good, uh, all things considered. So I think the XFL, my prediction is, will be renewed for a second season next year. All right, Shannon, quickly, your prediction. I think that Biden is going to make a little bit of a comeback. And I think it's going to be a little bit tougher for Sanders to get the nomination because we do need a show, um, you know. And so I think you're going to see a little bit of a bounce for Biden. You know, I'm just going to use what I just said a second ago because Chris has got me convicted now on self-awareness. So I predicted it was last week or the week before that Tom Brady, it was this all for nothing. He's staying with New England. So I'm that's apparently not the case. So I'm going to predict he's the next starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans. Nice. That's my next prediction. Chris and Shannon, good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us here. We appreciate it as always. Thank you. You bet. We'll come back. We've got another hour to go here, including Feedback Friday. You don't want to miss it. Next. And we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I am Steve Dace. Todd has the day off. Aaron is here with me, though. 888-900-3393 is the number if you'd like to be with us as well. You can also try liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Last name is D-E-A-C-E, by the way, if you're just doing the podcast today. And if you are, thank you. Please consider leaving us a five-star review wherever you choose to podcast from because those help us to grow the show the more of those we get. Thousands of you have done this for us already. Please keep those coming. The more, the merrier. And you can also find samples of this show that you can share as well over at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Coming up here now, we have one of our favorite segments of the week, Feedback Friday, brought to you by RidUZone, which wants to help you get back on the wagon with your New Year's resolution that probably, let's face it, if you look at uh, how often these don't succeed, you've not only fallen off the wagon, the, you're under the wagon. You've, been, you've thrown yourself underneath it. it. The wagon is now running you over, okay? And you know why, particularly when it comes to the number one most common New Year's resolution, which is to eat right and lose weight, dieting alone is really, really hard, especially if you're just trying to white knuckle it. Okay. And and then working out, even getting a discipline where activity is concerned is difficult, but uh, it has some weight loss benefits, but overall you can't out train a bad diet. So you get, you can 
work out and be really healthy and still not eat right. Okay, that's where Riduzone comes in. It's the only FDA accepted product that includes OEA. That's the natural occurring molecule that helps you feel full faster and burns stored fat while reducing your calorie intake at the same time. Riduzone makes it easier, therefore, to get control of those cravings that are ruining your resolution. All right, so if you want to give Riduzone a shot, you can only get it via the website, riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. You can use the promo code Steve when you get there and get up to 65% off. That is a massive, massive discount, up to 65% off. Heck, they'll throw in free shipping as well. Free shipping and 65% off when you use my name, not as a swear word, but as a promo code this time. See, good things can happen when you use my name. Granted, there's not many of them, but this is one. Riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, promo code Steve. All right, Aaron, you ready to get to it for the final hour of the week? You know it. There are some doozies in here this week. Uh, the, a lot of the right kinds of questions were asked by the audience. A little bit of snark, yes, but, but some good substance in there as well. Cool. Let's begin with this one from Dave. He asks, can you please shed some light on why residents would flee blue state strongholds like New York and California, but then continue their voting habits of the regimes they willingly left that could potentially turn states like Florida and Texas blue one day? And our old friend Chris Pandolfo, who lives in South Carolina, said, hey, he, he could see that becoming a purple state in the next decade. That's another state with no state income tax and right to work, or maybe they don't have none but it's very, very low. I know it's a right-to-work state, and so it's a growing economic state. I don't know, Dave. Dave, you're asking the right question. I'm not, I'm not sure you're prepared for the answer. But you know what? We got a motto. My wife and I have a motto when it comes to our kids in our home. When they ask the right questions, they're ready for the right answers. Yep. Okay? So when you start asking the right questions, you're ready for the right answers. So here's the answer. It goes back to the conversation we had last hour. See, what what happened is that there was a Faustian bargain made within the Democratic Party in the last in the previous generation. As the counterculture began, you know, assuming more power uh, in the baby boom generation within the Democratic Party, uh, as um, more aberrant moralities and religious views became more ascendant in the Democratic Party. The old Democratic Party had a, had a choice to make. And that choice was drive these voters off um, or not let them have any positions of leadership in order to maintain its, its traditional coalition, which was pro-immigrant, pro-union, pro-family, pro-America, um, left-of-center view uh, of, 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 of government. Pro-centralization, -central but not necessarily um, socialization. And it made the choice that it couldn't win without those voters. So it cynically played to them. And to its old guard, Democratic Party, for many, many years, it told them a lie. And that lie was that we will protect your economic interests. 
if you're that if you're that coal miner, that auto worker, that roofer, we, we'll protect your economic interests. We're for the little guy, unlike the Republicans who are for corporate America. We will protect your economic interests. But in exchange, you've got to sign up for the new morality. You've got to, you've got to make a choice because you know the Republicans don't care about you. So you can keep your job and, and we'll be what amounts to a federal union for you within a political party. We'll collective bargain with the Republicans on your behalf who represent management, corporate America, by and large. You agree to have us represent you and the cost, right? There's always a due. Have you ever belonged to a union before? You haven't. You came right out of college and did this, right? Briefly for um, okay. a grocery store. Okay. Yeah, I've belonged to several. Um, Teamsters more more than any other. <clears throat> Grew up in a union household. Did you grow up in a union household by any chance? No? Nope. Okay. Um, so there's always dues when you join a union, right? Nothing is free. There's always dues. And, and the cost of your dues for us collective bargaining, being your representative here, in the collective bargaining against the Republicans uh, and, and the management ownership corporatist interests they represent. The, 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 the do is you have to um, put up with the new Babylon. You've got to align with these folks. We can't win without them. We need them. And what's happened in this last decade is that lie has been exposed. And that lie has been exposed because now that the numbers, see, see when, this, when this arrangement within the Democratic Party began, Dave, the old traditional pro-family, pro-immigrant, pro-labor, pro-government Democratic Party, pro-America Democratic Party, that constituency group, if it was, a, it was on a scale, was up here. And the cray-cray was down here. But as we have had more of a demographic shift generationally, the scales have reversed. And so now the cray-cray is up here. Or at the very least, it's even with the old base. Maybe that's, let's be as fair as we can and say that it's even with the old base. Because even though Bernie Sanders is riding a wave right now, as I've been pointing out since, since New Hampshire, he is a weak front runner. He's not really expanding. Um, this, he, he's, he's expanding his, his map, but he's not expanding his base and when you look at the polling that came out of Texas today, for example, he's got the same 25 to 28 percent pretty much everywhere, except California, where that old Democrat base is almost gone and is totally cray cray. He's just that's the one that's one place where he has expanded his base. All right, he, he could hit 40 there on Tuesday, I think. But everywhere else, his base is pretty stagnant. And you see the rest of the Democratic base is kind of splitting its vote among the rest of the candidates, right? So let's be as fair as we can. Love our neighbors, we love ourselves. We don't want to be straw-manned, right, and constructed. So let's do the same here and say that now they're even rather than saying one's way up and one's way down. Let, let's be as fair as we can. I think that's probably too gracious, but mercy triumphs over judgment, right? So let's err on the side of being too fair than not fair enough and say that what's happened in this last era now is the cray-cray has come even with the traditional democratic base. But even if they're just even in numbers, they overwhelmingly dominate the democratic party when it comes to what's where it's influence senators.
influence centers are. The media, academia, the stuff that drives the zeitgeist of the Democratic Party is all cray-cray. It's none of the, it, I, this is not a construct. It's none of this base. The old Democratic base is represented nowhere within its intelligentsia, within the party's um, nerve center. It's not, it's not represented anywhere. And you can tell that because the, they've gone Darth Vader on this space. They have altered the deal and told them, pray we don't alter it any further. Because now what they have said to these people is, is, is the deal changed from, got to stop those Republicans. They're terrible. They're for corporate America. Four legs good, two legs bad. The deal has now been altered to four legs are good, yes, but two legs now are really better. Okay? And, and they've now turned on that base and said, yeah, you know what? Um, yeah, your fracking and, and, and fossil fuel job, that's, that's kind of got to go too. Sorry. Yeah, and you, you could make a living wage at the meatpacking plant, but, but corporate America is on our side now. They're giving us money now. So they want the illegals chattel, uh, the illegal chattel uh, in there, making seven fifty, no bennies. So you've got to go. And people like my stepdad have to take an early retirement uh, you know, who as a master carpenter, because, he, you know, for years he didn't step on a job site for less than 25 bucks an hour. That was like the cost of, that was the anti-cost to get to the table, not his wage, but then they just didn't have any more jobs because illegals took all those jobs. They've, they've betrayed that base. Andrew Yang alluded to this about a week ago. He said, we're not the, I, when I started campaigning for president, I went to the, you know, to the, uh, the waiters and waitresses and the assembly line workers and the construction workers and found they didn't really think that we cared about them. And they don't, they don't. This is a, this is a, this is becoming a more, a white, wokey, affluent political party because more of the cray cray has taken over now. And then when you're when when the when the cray cray decides they want to wreck your way of life on a very basic instinct level, your ability to feed your family, that's when these people flee to states like New York and flee California for Texas and flee New York for um, you know the Sun Belt. I remember the one day I had Donald Trump on our show before you came to work here was the very day it was announced in the next census, Florida was going to pass New York in population. And he was just incensed by this and the policies that were going on in his state that were driving people away. So that's the backdrop to your, to your that's the context of your question. And I think that context needs to be set to now answer it. The reason why that when these people then flee these states and then vote for Beta O'Rourke and not Ted Cruz, and then vote for Andrew Gillum and not Ron DeSantis. Is, is, so, the, so the Democratic Party essentially served these people up to us on a silver platter. But then here's how the right responded. Since we have, you know, I remember for many, many years when I first started in this business, the whole debate. Are we fiscal conservatives or social conservatives? Yeah. Fiscal only and social social issues don't matter. Run on jobs, jobs, jobs in the economy, right? We had all those debates when I first started in this business. For years, they went on. We made the decision on the right that, that 
we could separate financial prosperity from our morality. We also made the decision that we essentially adopted the Marxist premise. Just from the other side of the street. What's the Marxist premise? That history is really divided between, in, a, in a series of clashes of socioeconomic classes and conditions. Natural a form of an aberrant Darwinian form of economic natural selection, basically. We adopted, by and large, on the right, the same view, just from an opposing perspective, the Ayn Randian view, the John Galt view, the Atlas Shrugged view, that we could have godlessness, heathenness, hedonism, and never really have to make, have any of the uncomfortable conversations confronting it that might risk driving people away. That, that we could create a political party that's like a, a seeker-friendly church with a great big tent, but the stakes are very low in the ground, very little foundation. And so we have conditioned people who feel deserted by Democratic Party policies, by policies, I should say. Let me try that again in English. We have conditioned people who have been deserted by Democratic Party policies that they can come here now and have cultural rot gut and prosperity because we have adopted this premise too. Now, here's the difference though. We mean it. The left never did. The left never intended to leave you alone. Marxism has always been an aberrant statist religion. Every time it's been tried in any culture. They never, they never intended, they were always going to make their way around to you. They just had to take you off the board first so they could take on the right. And then when they thought they had enough of an advantage on the right culturally, they could now deal with, deal with uh, the, 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 the racist, uh, xenophobic, uh, uh, you know, polluters in their own party. And you will be made to care too. And so we have, we have told these people that you can vote for big government. You can, you, there's no reason not to have Beta O'Rourke as a senator from Texas. You can have it all, which you can't. There's no such thing as a fiscal conservative, social liberal, social moderate. They're just, does this person may think that's what they are. They've either been deceived or are deceiving others. We either believe in a Republican form of government where rights come from God and are governed by the laws of nature and nature's God, you know, the founding document to the country, or we don't. And everything else is a don't. Everything else is a don't. Now, I, I, agree, with, I agree more with some of the don'ts than I do some of the others, but, but they're all roads to perdition. They're all don'ts. Because eventually this gets exposed. It gets exposed when you're perfectly united against the opposition to acquire political power. But when the time comes that you're not, and things like drag queen story time hour, or parentless, the video I've got up on my, up on my Facebook page today of what apparently is a birthday party for a little girl where a, a, a drag queen is brought in to essentially stripper dance for her. And the little girl is horrified. 
while the adults around sit there and cheer. A nice woman named Laura Medina tweeted to me, seeing that video earlier today, boy, I'd like to grab that little girl and take her out of there. I didn't tweet this because it would get me banned, but I'll say it here. I'd like to, I'd like to pull a coward of the county and lock the door from the inside after you take the little girl out and take the men in that room out back. That's what I'd like to do. Because when you run out of outrage, the only thing left is anger. And I'd like to introduce him to my two friends, righteous and indignation. That's what I would like to do. But hey, that's the cost of freedom. If Todd were here, that's what he would say, right? Yep. That's the cost of freedom. We just got to put up with that. And, and as long as we got jobs, 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 that's okay. Well, a lot of that is now inhabited the right. And so instead of taking those voters who have been who were betrayed by the existential bargain they originally cut with in the previous era with the Democratic Party and then introducing them to Russell Kirk and William F. Buckley and Ronald Reagan, we introduced them to Ayn Rand instead. That's why. That's the answer to your question, Dave. Because we bought the, we actually bought the lie on the right. The left never bought this. They were always going to turn this around. Well, let me rephrase this. The cray-cray left never meant it. You were always going to be made to care. This is a common Marxist tactic. Say, agree to whatever you need in order to gain power, and then the deconstruction and, and, and um, uh, the retconning of history begins. It was always going to end like this because this is how it always ends with leftists. This is what leftism, communism, socialism, Marxism, whatever, noom diplom, whatever that term is you want to put on it, it always ends like this. It always ends with I'm altering the day. I'll pray I don't alter it any further. It always does. It always has and it always will. Because it's not about justice. It's about power. Because it thinks justice can be found. In, in the best case scenario, it believes justice can be found by the redistribution of power. What did Ocasio-Cortez say a few months ago? We don't want your money. We don't want your money. We want your power. Well, I don't. We do. Yes. Because they're all Baramirs and Faramirs. Give them the ring of power. And they will do illustrious things with it. Greatness with it. Grandeur with it. No. They will be as dark and terrible as the dawn. They'll be Galadriels instead. We actually bought the lie. We believed it. We believed we could have Pleasant Valley Sundays and rainbow parades. We believed we could have Vogue and Proverbs 31. We believed it. And now we are existentially disarmed very few of our people voters leaders etc you know i haven't really followed his career that much but i was blown you mentioned him earlier when uh the guy in missouri who am i thinking of uh, josh holly uh, when he dropped the pelagian reference last year you remember that yep about blew my mind that that someone and i don't know you He's got a guy working for him I've known for a long time, Eric Tietzel, who's a really smart evangelical. 
that sounds like something that Eric Tietzel would have written, okay? But even if that's the case, that many hired the guy and, and told him, and let him, you put the word in one of his speeches. I was blown away that this, some, like, you know why? Because that's, that's, that's actually the kind of stuff that's at play right now. And the fact that most of my audience would not know what that's a reference to speaks to what I am addressing right now. We have bought the notion that we can win this without actually attacking the foundation of what we're up against. And the reason we bought this notion is because most of the, too much of the right doesn't believe in this foundation or wasn't taught it themselves. That's why there was so much angst over Neil Gorsuch's stance on the Chevron doctrine when he was appointed to the Supreme Court. We were one of the few shows pointing out guy has no record on the life issue at all. None. Nothing. He has no record at all. That's kind of, do you think that's important? Just a bit. But apparently, no, the Chevron doctrine. And you know what? I didn't know what the hell the Chevron doctrine was. And you know what? I still don't. And I'm proud of it. I don't, I don't need to know. Because if we're going to continue to kill 3,000 kids a day, you're going to have the Chevron doctrine, the British Petroleum, you have the Standard Oil doctrine. The Texaco doctrine, you're doomed as a people. Doomed, 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 doomed. But you're not going to hear that in a lot of places around here. I was excited when I saw Mike Pence say today at CPAC, it's not just about winning the next election, but the next generation. Now, excitement in Mike Pence, for me, in the same sentence, doesn't inhabit the same space very often. But but you know what, man? I'd be ecstatic if he actually believed that. And, and that was... And he carried that message as the vice president of the United States because that's the kind of stuff we've been trying to point out on this show for a long, long time. And, that, and, that's, and that's why, David, is these people got sold out by the Democratic Party. And we told them, you know what, as long as you vote for us now, you don't have to change really any of your fundamental values. Because that's been our paradigm my whole life. Every election's the most important election of our lifetimes. Every single time. Well, they're out there winning generations. And I'll, I'll close my answer with, with this analogy. I've used it like five times this week. I think it's appropriate to use it one more. In 1972, that was the first time the cray-cray got hold of power in the Democratic Party and nominated George McGovern. It was way outside the American mainstream and far more likable and kinder person than Bernie Sanders is. And was until his last day. George McGovern is the kind of guy he'd give you the shirt off your back. Or, and his. See what I did there? Yeah. Um, Richard Nixon, a person that a lot of people that voted for him in 68, did so because they felt like they had no choice and didn't really like. Any of this sound familiar, by the way? Mm -hmm. One in an absolute rout. For the next five decades, the people that put George McGovern in that position to lose that election so badly won the culture in a rout. For the next five decades. This has been our thinking on the right my whole life in this movement, party, etc. It's always about the very next election. It's almost never about the next generation. The other side cares deeply about the next election, but not at the stake, not, not, at the, not for the sake of the next generation. 
And sooner or later, those bills come due. And sooner or later, the lies you tell people or believe yourself, the bill comes due. And so that bill is coming due now in these states that are turning less red and more purple as we speak because we told these people that that they could come here, vote Republican, enjoy all of the great financial benefits to not being governed by statism, but still have all the moral depravity that statism promotes at the same time. That, that was never going to work, ever. And we're, if you're living in a place like Texas now, and some of those other states, you're learning that the hard way as we speak. In real time. Aaron, you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, this was a, a tour de force why we do the revival or bust thing all of the time and have been for years now. Because the, the truth of the matter is we still live and experience and enjoy so much largesse and so much prosperity and so much licentiousness or liberty to use our money the way that we want to. That the only thing that will, that, will, that will loosen our necks is a supernatural, is a supernatural revival. Um, or, or, a, or a cataclysm of, of some sort. Because when you, when you live in a state of mind where you have everything you need and you're doing whatever you please... Why in the world, why, why on earth would you change? That's not human nature. And the, the, the cruel or maybe interesting uh, part of all of this is that it is, it is a case study on natural law, just like we talked about yesterday with Brad Wilcox of the National Marriage Project in, in Virginia, uh, about, the, uh, about some of the studies about, about what happens when the institution of marriage is is uh, destroyed or damaged and one of the things that he talked about you know if if a child living in a, a a household where one of the parents is not actually their biological parent it's far more likely that that child is going to be abused it's it's the natural law coming out born out born out in 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 real life in study in science and in in um in, in research and that's what's happening with these states as well. If you live in a neighborhood where your car keeps getting stolen, what are you more likely to do? You're, you're more likely to move out of that neighborhood so your car doesn't get stolen. Mm-hmm. If you're living in a state where your money keeps getting stolen by the government, where are you likely to go? To a state where it's not going to be stolen quite as much. And that's, that, that, is the, that is the natural law at work. Is you go places where, where the food, you go where the food is, you move where the food is, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're actually changing or repenting or going the other way. You're just going where the food is. While at the same time, while at the same time, proving that natural law, which you despise. We'll come back. More feedback Friday here in a moment. Stay tuned. Deborah learned the hard way how shocking it can be 
how easily your home can be stolen. That is the brutal lesson that she learned when thieves found her home's title online. Then they forged it and literally took ownership of her home. In an instant, they legally owned Deborah's house. She got evicted, spent a fortune trying to get it back. Uh, All that lost equities, over $80,000. Now, the FBI says this is not, sadly, a unique story. They call it home title fraud and say it's one of the fastest growing crimes in America. You don't want to be next to the most important, valuable investment most Americans will ever make is their own home. So I urge you, protect it online with Home Title Lock. The reason why you need this is because the home do- or the, the legal documents to our homes are kept online where thieves can hunt them down and hack in. They then forge the documents that you sold your home, maybe borrow against your home's equity, and then stick you with the payments. No insurance or bank protects you, but Home Title Lock does. Who knows? You could sadly already be a victim. So go to HomeTitleLock.com right now and register your home to see if you're in the clear at HomeTitleLock.com. And while you're there, use the promo code Steve to get one free month of protection. Again, one free month of protection with the promo code Steve at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Let's get to some more here on a Feedback Friday. Justin Flynn says, I'm trying to have a basic preparedness for any significant illness outbreak. I ordered a 50-pack of general medical face masks a few days ago from Amazon. We just received them, and the label says, made in Wuhan, China. That's the label on the package. Do I consider? Do I still consider using them if the need arises? Or do I burn immediately and bleach my entire household? Thanks. And I'll hang up and listen. I think, Aaron, the only logical answer to Aaron's dilemma is yes. Yeah, I, I agreed. I think fire fire is very cleansing. So I'm always going to I'm always going to err towards that side. So if, if you put a gun to my head um, or a bat to my head, uh, bat, I'm sorry, if you put guano to my head, and said I had to make a decision. I would always err towards burning everything and burn your house down uh, while you're at it as well. Um, I think that's probably the most rational, the most rational response to this uh, instance. Yeah, I mean, when in doubt, just burn your house down. Yeah. yeah. Ed writes, here's another great question. Lots of good questions. I told you we had some good yeah. questions this yeah. week. If a gay man identifies as a woman, does that make him a heterosexual? Uh, I think that, uh, I think isn't that, doesn't that fall under just general queer or check other? Here's what I've got. Sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes you don't. I'm just gonna go with that. Yeah, so, is that okay? Yeah, okay. I, I do find it. Uh, I do find it fun though that um, that we have 73 genders on Facebook to placate the people who fall into one of those 73 categories or whatever the number is now. But also, also, it's really frustrating to the LGBTQIA community that they have to check a box because they don't fit any boxes. They don't fit your boxes. 
Um, I find that's an, that's an interesting dichotomy there. I almost asked a question I really didn't want to know the answer to, which is what does the IA stand for? But don't tell me. I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't even I don't, know. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to know. I don't care. And I'm, I'm going to take a lot of pride in actually yeah. not knowing. No, yeah, good. I'm going to go with that. Uh, Corey writes, I keep seeing two radically different portraits of the Republican Party. There is the leftist portrait, a group of theocrat white nationalists, re-thuglicans, and he spells it KKK. I like that. Uh-huh. Uh, clever. Who want to reimpose Christian Sharia law, truck all the gays off to concentration camps, and keep all women everywhere barefoot and pregnant while servicing the big corporations who light their cigars with hundies. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and not, not too far from the stereotype, right. actually. Then there's the conservative media. The, they're, they're spineless sellouts who hate everything actual Orthodox conservatives believe and can't wait to sell them out at every opportunity, but won't just leave the radioactive Republican brand and support the party they prefer and want to go to the same cocktail parties and award ceremonies the liberals and leftists go to. So who is lying to me because these two are mutually exclusive. Are lefties lying? And they really are just fine with these squishy sellouts as long as they stay in their place and don't rock the boat. Or people like you and Rush and many others in conservative media lying to me in order to bolster your patriotic, God-loving bona fides. And the party is actually somewhat effective at pushing back. Corey, a very wise man, had the solution to such dilemmas when he suggested the following. You know a tree by its fruit. You have correctly deduced that these two explanations are mutually exclusive. Yes, you have. They, they cannot both be true at the same time. Wholeheartedly agree. They could both be wrong, but they cannot both be right. They, they cannot inhabit the same space. You're right about that. So then, if you know a tree by its fruit, let's look at the leftist portrait of the Republican Party. Would you trust a group of people that proudly, like, they're not like skeptical, they're not like seeking, they're not like agnostic, but proudly don't know what a U.S. border is. Proudly don't know what a baby is unless they want it. Proudly don't know what a gender is. Proudly don't know what a census is. Proudly don't know what a constitution is. Proudly don't know what a declaration of independence is. Proudly don't know what a law is where the law comes from, for that matter. Have I made my point? Should I continue? Yeah. No, I think that's effective. Probably don't know what a science is, right? Okay. Would you really trust how the same worldview that calls all of those self-evident things and predefined things and definitions into question? Would you, would you really have them trust them? to give you an accurate portrayal of their competition, given how much they lie about themselves. 
I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna lie at that level about yourself, why why would it be a debate within your conscience to lie about your competition? So, you know, a tree by its fruit. And then I would, I would, I'd add one more question back to you. With the exception of guns, I, I do think guns are an issue that we have made conservative progress on in the last few decades. Name another issue where, where the Republican Party has moved the country further to the right than it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And then ask yourself this question, other than guns. Name the issues that the left have moved the country left on in the last 10, 20, 30 years. Other than all of them. And, and one of the ways they have been successful in doing that is promoting lies like the ones you described. Hey man, it's much easier to be the Harlem Globetrotters if you get to determine you're playing the Washington Generals every night. Not so easy to be the Harlem Globetrotters if you're taking on the 96 Bulls. Know what I'm saying? Not as easy. The, the, 20, the 2017 Warriors. Not as easy. But if, if you know, if you get to determine and pick your own adversaries and opponents and you get to choose, we're going to play the Washington Generals again tonight. Much easier to be the Harlem Globetrotters. Aaron, you have any thoughts on that? No, that's extremely, extremely well said. And, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that right America necessarily is... Uh, the the opposite, the exact opposite, and we're just freedom-loving crusaders, one and all, uh, because we have our own faults, which we document all the time as well. But, as you said, if it's in the nature, I mean, a, a, a scorpion, what's the phrase about scorpion? It, don't, don't be surprised when you get stung. I mean, it's, it's just my nature. It's just the nature. So it's the nature of the left to lie. They can't exist without lies because it's, it's a brainchild of the father of lies, the, the worldview that, that drives left America is progressivism. So it's in their nature to lie. So, of course, they're going to lie about you, and they always will, so long as progressivism is alive and kicking. Yes. Now, there are always 7,000 men in Israel who haven't taken the need to bail yet. There are some good people in the Republican Party. Yeah. Unfortunately, like none of them hold any leadership positions within the, within the party structure at the moment. And, well, for the last 25, 30 years of moments, as a matter of fact. Other than that, it's in great shape. Roger McCauley asks, in a Christian faith centered around relationship after revelation, it isn't profitable to force individuals into behaviors born out of a relationship without the preceding revelation, meaning conversion. So where is the balance between legislating from a Christian conservative worldview and allowing as much individual liberty to include the potential 
for sacrilegious behaviors as possible. Lastly, once said legislation is drafted, what would be necessary to ensure said laws could not be perverted to be used opposite of original intentions? That's from Rogan McCauley. Rogan, those are great questions. They're just both wrong. Your questions are wrong. Look at your last question. The premise of your last question is essentially, it's a red herring. We get the logical conclusion of your last question is, since there is nothing really to stop laws from being perverted, don't pass any laws. I mean, when, when God created a direct theocracy in Israel, individual people did not have the Holy Spirit. It's a pre-New Testament covenant. If individual people received it, it was a specific prophetic anointing. But it was, dem- it was not democratized. Not every, not every believer in God was granted the Holy Spirit as part of that covenant. And yet, when he established his nation, what was the first thing that he gave them, Aaron? What was the first thing he gave them? To a largely unregenerate people. What did he give them? Laws. Laws. First thing he gave them. He said, hey, Moses, now that, we're out, now that we're in the clear, I need you to come up here to this mountain. What did he give Moses? Laws. laws take these down to the unregenerate people below these are my commandments why because the law see here here's here's the premise of your understanding of human nature is accurate rogan it's right on the money but the premise of your understanding of the purpose of law i believe is wrong the law the scriptures say the law instructs the law instructs God gave his people the law in the Old Testament because they were his people. This was a revelation of his character. And on some basic level, they could keep the law. They just couldn't keep it perfectly. And that's, you know, what God's holiness demands from an eternal perspective. But in a temporal perspective, they... they, they're made in the image of God. They're, they're totally depraved, but not utterly depraved. They, they, can keep, they can keep it in a temporal way. They just can't keep it in a way that satisfies the wrath of God. But they can keep it in a temporal way that stops them from, you know, all of them from being child molesters and all of them from being murderers and all of them from being adulterers and all of them mm-hmm. from being thieves. I could go on. But the law was an instruction. This is the character of God. This is, this is what it means to live godly. This is what it means to love the Lord your God while your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That's, this is the law instructs. Paul reaffirms this in the New Testament. The law taught me what my sinfulness was. Because I didn't know covetousness was bad until God said, don't covet. I thought it was perfectly fine to leer at my neighbor's hotter wife and think, boy, I wish I was married to her instead. I thought it was perfectly fine to leer at my neighbor's bigger house and say, boy, I wish I lived there instead. How do I take it? The law instructs. The law instructs. We don't pass laws because we believe people can perfectly keep them, but because they cannot. And that must require consequences. Now, 
where I do agree with you is there's a balance. That's why we don't believe in big government or no government, but a limited government. Limited to what? That the role of government as it was defined in the founding of this country is that government exists to protect, not provide, because these pre-exist in nature, protect your God-given rights. That's the role. That's its limit. The protection of the people's God-given rights. And by doing that, it will punish evil and thus, as a result, reward that which is good. The protection of your God-given rights. So we should focus on, the focus should be on laws that protect your God-given rights. What are they? Well, among them, the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. If you read other writings of the founders, they, they enumerate more of what those would be. The pursuit of property. Protection of conscience. Furthermore, rights that are articulated in our Bill of Rights. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, for example. I think that's the only right that says shall not be infringed in the whole Constitution. But, but the argument here is about what is the purpose of the law. The law is not here to make people that aren't unregenerate Christians. It's here because we're unregenerate and to provide and instruct on what are the earthly consequences for our actions. That's where the confusion is. What is the purpose of the law? To instruct. That is the purpose. This is what's bad. This is what's good. And if you do what's bad, here's what happens. That's the purpose of the law. To instruct. Aaron, you have any final thoughts? What did you learn today? Well, learned today... Once again, all of the all of the uh, depravity uh, that we see on a day to day basis, all of the frustration that we see from people who we entrust to entrust to make the best decisions for for our you know for our society and our human as depressing as all that is, um, it should it should if you were a believer make the juxtaposition. Of, of our Savior even sweeter when we see this on a day-to-day basis. That's the, that's the response that we should see, and we should always be praying for, praying for revival, revival or, or revival and bust. We're going to stick around and do some overtime best and worst of the week for our Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, have a great weekend. We'll see you again on Monday. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.